Game five of the NLDS was a thriller for the ages, but the ending, it left a sour taste in my mouth. Major League Baseball has an umpiring problem that needs to be fixed sooner rather than later. The outcome really doesn't matter, though, because this is the Boston Red Sox year to win the World Series. I'll tell you why next on Stern Spotlight. Welcome into another edition of Stern Spotlight. Be sure to like, subscribe, comment on Spotify. Give me a shout out on Twitter at J underscore Stern 97. And I'll answer your questions or comments on the show. What an unbelievable game yesterday between the Dodgers and Giants. Game five of the NLDS was one of the best postseason games I had seen in a very long time. And I can't even remember the last time I saw a series that was that good either. Both teams went punch for punch with one another, always answering the other uh, up until the very end. I mean, the uh, Giants won game one, the Dodgers won game two, then the Giants won game three, and then the Dodgers won games four and five. And then in game five, when the Dodgers scored the first run of the game in the sixth inning, the Giants answered in the bottom half with a home run from Darren Ruff. So, I mean, watching this series, it was a shame that one team had to lose. And I was okay with whatever the outcome was, so long as it was fair and square, or at least somewhat fair, right? There's always going to be human error when it comes to umpiring in, ma in Major League Baseball. But to see it end on a check swing where Wilmer Flores blatantly did not go around, it left a bad taste in my mouth. It just felt like a horrible ending. And no one feels content. I don't think there's any debate that the Dodgers were the better team that night. And the Giants acknowledged that in the postgame. I have to give a lot of credit to Gabe Kapler, who I think should win manager of the year, by the way, for what he did with that team, for saying that was not the reason we lost the game. And it wasn't. The Giants went 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. They scored one run on six hits. They didn't force a walk the entire night. You can't play that badly offensively and expect to win a baseball game, okay? Let's not sit here and pretend that's the reason they lost. But I am sick and tired of playing the what-if game. What if that wasn't called? What if Flores got a hit? What if he hit a home run, a game-winning home run? Obviously, none of those outcomes are likely, but it's gotten to the point where I don't want to keep questioning what could have happened. And to see these umpires jog off the field casually with no accountability, knowing that whatever happens, they'll be back on the field next year and they won't be reprimanded in any capacity is very upsetting to me. There are millions of dollars and a lot more at stake in the postseason in these games. You can't let umpiring ruin everything. It's just not fair to the players. These guys fight through an 162-game season just to get to the postseason. And to have it end on a call like that, that's not fair. And you think that when an umpire makes a bad call, okay, he's not going to get put in the next postseason series or something like that. But we've seen this movie before with Gabe Morales. And I hate to pick on the first base umpire in this case. 
I hate to pick on referees or umpires in any capacity because their job is hard. They're making instinctive decisions that determine and swing the momentum in games. And no matter how hard you try, and no matter how good of a job you do as an umpire or a referee, someone is always going to hate you. You're always going to get heckled. People are always going to be ripping you on social media. You're always the villain and never the hero when you're wearing black and white. It's just the way it is. But with Gabe Morales, the last time we saw this was on Sunday Night Baseball on a, in a game between the Red Sox and Yankees on a 3-2 pitch with Ruth Neto Odor up at the plate. Yankees were down 5-4, bottom of the ninth, runner on first. And then all of a sudden, a pitch way out of the strike zone is called strike three and the game's over. I didn't think the Yankees would have won this game, that game either. But you can't keep allowing these guys to trot back out there. It's just not fair. And I hate to say the R word in this situation because I feel like I'm cursing. But it's inevitable that robo-umpires are going to need to become part of the game at some point. The thought that all the Giants could do after the game ended like that was go back into the clubhouse and reflect on their season and see a horrible call and what was a Cinderella storybook type of year, one where all these veterans kind of had a resurgent season. You saw it with Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford. The whole situation really just makes me sick to my stomach, and Major League Baseball has pretty much done nothing to step in. The umpires have a union and they're protected as they should be because it's a tough job and it's a seasonal type of gig. But you you can't just keep allowing this to happen and standing pat pretending that it's okay because it's not. Umpires will still have a place in Major League Baseball, by the way, if robo-umpires are put in the game. They can can fix the machines. They can cross-check certain calls things of that nature, but what happened last night should be a wake-up call. Listen, Dodgers fans are still partying like it's the 2020 World Series, and that's fine by me, but no matter what team you're a fan of, the one common denominator is you want to see Major League Baseball fix the umpiring problem because it affects everyone. People were quick to say that whoever won this series was going to go on and win the World Series. And it makes sense. I understand why it was a highly contested battle between the two teams with the best records in Major League Baseball. Truthfully, I don't think the Atlanta Braves have much of a shot against the Dodgers, especially without Ronald Acuna. And unless Duvall and Peterson and Soler or Freeman or Albies, any of the explosive guys in the order can get hot and start hitting the ball out of the ballpark, it's going to be hard to keep up with a high-powered, high-octane Dodgers lineup. But regardless, I don't think it really matters who comes out of the NL because I think the Boston Red Sox are going to win the World Series this year. At about the halfway point in the season, people would have thought I was nuts making a prediction like that. But after watching them take down the Tampa Bay Rays, I can say it with a very high level of confidence. Reason A why they'll win the World Series? 
It's the man in the dugout calling the shots and writing in the names on the lineup card. More importantly, Alex Cora, who spent a year away from Major League Baseball after pretty much being forced to part ways with the Red Sox organization after being involved in a sign-stealing scandal while he was the bench coach with the Houston Astros, is an unbelievable leader, an unbelievable motivator, and he is the perfect guy to be leading this team. I know that I'm a big proponent of saying that managers and coaches, those types of guys, they don't dictate the results. They're not playing the actual game. I said it myself on the last episode of Stern Spotlight. Coaching is one of the most overrated aspects of professional sports. I understand that I might be talking out of both ends of my mouth, but when you have a manager of Cora's caliber, it makes a world of difference. Just look at how much worse the Red Sox were last season without him. They were 24-36, and 36, 12 games below 500 in a pandemic-shortened season where only 60 games were played. With Ron Renneke running the helm, they didn't even look like half the team they were this year. And that was despite the fact that they had a very, very similar roster. You remove Renneke from the equation and insert Cora, it's an entirely different ball game. It's amazing, right? And let me tell you, Cora is the primary man responsible for keeping this team level-headed through the ups and downs of the season. And believe me, there were many. Remember when people thought the Boston Red Sox were dead? They were in third place. They were on an eight-game losing streak. They looked fundamentally incompetent against the Toronto Blue Jays team that didn't even make the postseason. And it seems like the Red Sox hopes of getting to October were gone. Even early on in the ALDS, it seemed like the Red Sox were no match for the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa won game one, five nothing. And then in game two, Boston gets off to that hot start. They score two runs in the top half of the first inning. And it's like, hold on here. The Red Sox may have a chance. But then, just when it seemed like there was a glimmer of hope, the Rays storm back in the bottom half of the inning with five runs of their own. They inject life back into Tropicana Field. That place was rocking, which it usually isn't during the regular season. And it seems like the Red Sox were going to get buried before they even got back home. But they slowly climbed and crept back into the ballgame, scored two runs in the top of the third, and then erupted for five runs in the fifth inning, and then scored six runs over the final three. From that moment forward, the team never really looked back. And the last two games of that series kind of reminded me of games four and five of the NLDS. The Red Sox won game three, six to four, and then they walked off the Rays in game four, six to five on a Kike Hernandez sack fly. Speaking of Kike Hernandez, he was the unsung hero for the Red Sox in that series. He went 10 for 23 in the ALDS. And that's another reason I think the Red Sox are going to win the World Series this year. They have a really nice mix of veteran guys and younger players. And you have to admire the front office for what they did 
at the trade deadline going out and acquiring a guy like Kyle Schwarber. Not only has he been a great bat in that lineup, but he's also been a good locker room piece as well. And you add him to the equation when you already have a Xander Bogarts, someone who has a World Series ring to their name, and a J.D. Martinez, another power hitter with the World Series ring, and Kike Hernandez, who is a guy that they got before the season from the Dodgers, who's also won a World Series. I think you have a nice core of veteran players for the young guys to look at and say, those guys, they've done it before. That's imperative when you reach the postseason. In particular, with the young players, we've seen Rafael Devers step up to the plate. Unbelievable power hitter. Had a couple big home runs and hits in that series. And he is such an important and crucial piece to that team. As is Alex Verdugo. It's amazing to think that a few years ago, when the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts to the Los Angeles Dodgers and everyone in Beantown was furious that the team parted with their best player, that in hindsight, a couple of years later, we'd be viewing the Red Sox as the winners of that trade. Not only has Verdugo's performance been on par with what we've seen from Mookie Betts in Los Angeles, but he's also going to be a building block for that team for years to come, and he's certainly part of the future. So it's nice that they have a combination on that roster of young guys who are becoming part of the Red Sox brand and identity, but also older guys who can really help show them the ropes, get them through the nerves and pressure of playing in the postseason, because we know that exists. As much as we want to say it's another game, those at-bats, those plays in the postseason, there's a much higher emphasis and attention to detail on them than there is during the regular season. Let's just call it like it is. But despite that, this team is playing loose. They're playing with confidence. They're playing with swagger. They're playing like they have nothing to lose because they are going to be the winners at the end of the Major League Baseball postseason. I'm curious to see how things unfold the rest of the way in the playoffs. I'm sure I'll revisit this prediction in a week or so. And I love baseball. It's such a good sport, and there's always something special about the playoffs. The weather cools off a little bit. You're sitting at the edge of your seat with each pitch. The end of each inning, you're wondering what's going to happen next. There's always upsets. There's always surprises. There's always guys Nobody even heard of during the regular season that come on during the postseason. I'm not just talking about Kike Hernandez either. Remember Cody Ross, the journeyman who had been cut what seemed to be a million times, who led the San Francisco Giants to the World Series about a decade ago? It's amazing how those things play out. But I want to finish up today by talking some football because the NFL season is in full swing and... I think some of the top contenders, both in the AFC and the NFC, are finally starting to bubble to the surface. Every season before the first game, we ask ourselves the question, is this the year that the Dallas Cowboys finally break through? Every year, people convince themselves to say yes, 
for this reason, that one, or the other. And they usually end up being wrong because the Cowboys have been a dumpster fire the past few years. No matter how good they are, even when they won 14 games with Jason Garrett, they were bounced in the first round by the Green Bay Packers. So it's like you can never really be fully confident in the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys are like that friend you always want to trust, but you always catch them stealing something from your house or lying to you or showing up to your house late when they always say they're going to be on time. You can't really trust them ever. You wouldn't give them the keys to your house on your best day with them. That's how a lot of people feel about the Dallas Cowboys. They just don't feel comfortable picking them, and I understand why. This year, though, it seems like everything is shaping up for America's team to go on a run. In years past, and last season in particular, with Mike Nolan as the defensive coordinator, the Cowboys' defense was absolutely abysmal. But when you remove Nolan and insert Dan Quinn, a defensive mastermind, into the equation, (laughs) it just changes the dynamic completely. To compete in the NFC with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Mike Evans or the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams, you need a top-tier cornerback. You need a Jalen Ramsey back there, a bully who you can confidently stick on an island against your top receiver. And through the first five games, looks like the Cowboys finally found their guy. Trayvon Diggs looks like he could be the defensive player of the year. Ten pass breakups and six interceptions. His stats are off the chart. If I'm an NFL quarterback, I don't even want to get near that guy. I'm looking for other ways to get the ball to my top receiver. But if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, not only do I feel confident sticking digs on an island against Evans or Adams, I'm feeling like they can force a turnover against Rodgers or Brady with him back there. That's how good he's been so far. And as much as it was devastating losing Dak Prescott, Last season, and you knew last year was over the minute Prescott went down with the season-ending injury. He's playing at an MVP caliber level so far this year. He's come back back and better than ever. As a matter of fact, I think taking a year to sit out and watch the game from the sidelines and watch the other guys go out there and struggle gave him a unique perspective. Not only is he seeing the field better and making better reads, doing things like that. But he also seems to have a little bit more juice and energy. It's almost like he feels the need that he has to prove himself all over again. Proved himself the first time when Tony Romo went down with an injury in the preseason, and he went from being the number three quarterback to the rookie of the year. So he's done it before. But this time it's different. The standard... And the bar of expectations, it's risen for the Dallas Cowboys. No longer is it reaching the playoffs. No longer is it winning one game in the postseason. Nuh-uh. Jerry Joe's team this year has Super Bowl aspirations. And playing in perhaps the worst division in football with the Giants, the Washington football team, and the Eagles, there's no doubt they're going to win the division. 
Uh-uh. They're going to run away with it by the end of the month, as a matter of fact, because none of those teams can compete with them. But they still have a lot to prove in terms of showing they can compete with the rest of the NFC. But there's no reason they can't. That offense is absolutely filthy. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, that's the perfect three-headed monster to take you to the promised land. Ezekiel Elliott isn't the back he once was. I'll acknowledge that. But now you have a little bit of a yin-yang combination with Elliott and Pollard. And both of those guys have very complementary abilities. And they're keeping each other fresh. It's not like they have a bell cow that they're leaning on back there who they're running into the ground. I think that's something they hurt their division rival New York Giants with Saquon Barkley. I mean, we haven't seen the Barkley we saw at Penn State in large part because the Giants are leaning too heavily on him. So I think Dallas's strategy of using designed runs with Dak, with bringing a rotation in there of Pollard and Elliott, and then trying to set, use the run to set up the pass downfield and get more explosive on offense is an excellent strategy and an excellent approach. And who better to lead this team than Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy has nothing left to prove. He already won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. But there was still doubters saying he should have won a second one. And I think that's part of the reason why, after a year away from coaching, he just had that itch to come back. And he felt like the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott were the perfect situation. And thus far, they have been. McCarthy had his pick of teams as well. The New York Jets were very high on him, but he wasn't going to walk into a dumpster fire. Look at what happened with Adam Gase there. He was going to wait for a good situation. And once it came about, he was ready to jump in neck deep into the deep end. After the thriller to open the season, Tom Brady said to Dak Prescott when they shook hands post-game, I'll see you back here sometime. And I think that's going to be the case. I think the NFC Championship game is going to be a rematch for the ages between the Bucks and the Cowboys. And I think the Cowboys have a good chance of winning the second time around. That'll do it for this edition of Stern Spotlight. I love shining the spotlight on postseason baseball. You just got to love it, right? There's nothing like it in the world with some NFL mixed in there. Make sure to give me your thoughts on Spotify, Twitter, comment, like, subscribe, and I'll be back again soon with another edition of Stern Spotlight.